This morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke. And I love teaching out of the gospels because, as you know, the gospels tell us about the life of Jesus and, and that every incident that we read, everything that he says, you know, and he does, shows, shows and instructs us in our understanding of him as we as Christians desire to be more like him. And so, you know, we just better understand his heart towards us as we look at the gospel. So Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. 36 through 50 is what we're going to cover. As you're turning there, I just want to say for the men that um, we're about ready to finish up in our men's study on Tuesday nights, the book of Joshua. We got one more week. And then a week from Tuesday, <clears throat> we will be starting the book of Ephesians. And so as Joshua speaks about the children of Israel going into the promised land and, and uh, living by faith and, and uh, taking their inheritance, possessing their inheritance, the book of Ephesians talks to us as Christians about our spiritual inheritance. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So guys, I invite you out on Tuesday nights. We're in the coffee shop. So bring your Bible here at seven o'clock. And, and um, I think that you would be blessed by that. So hopefully everybody is in the gospel of Luke and I'm not. Let's see. Here we go. And we're in chapter seven and verse 36. It reads like this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. In verse 40, And Jesus said, answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So, so he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with the oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Father, we come this morning.
Now that we come and we worship you, Lord, I just pray that our not only would our Bibles be open, but our hearts would be open to what you would have to say for us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that through your spirit you teach us and we can see with understanding, Lord, through this account of your heart towards us. So, Father, may we be attentive if we come in in with anything that might just um, keep us from just looking at you and, and looking at this for the next hour. I pray that you would help us to put that aside and that we would be looking at you, Lord. That there would be stillness at this time, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would bless everybody here, every, everybody that is in this building. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage that we just read, we see one of the, really, it's a remarkable passage. It's probably one of the most emotional accounts given to us in the gospel. And in it, what we see is Jesus' heart towards two very different people that are brought before us. And we're going to be introduced to a woman who has sinned greatly. And what takes place here is relative to her eternity. And we can read about others in the Gospels that Jesus came into contact with, others who were healed and others who were cleansed and so forth. And we kind of conclude that these individuals come to genuine faith. But in some cases, we just not told. But this woman, this woman who has sinned greatly in her life, we are told does come to genuine faith. And it is that faith that is a motivation for her devotion and her action towards Jesus that we see here in Luke chapter 7. Her eternal destiny has been affected by her run-in with Jesus. And she becomes a powerful testimony of a transformed life. And she becomes a powerful testimony of who and what Jesus can do, even with the worst of sinners. And as Christians, we obviously, we want to proclaim the truth when we think about reaching the loss with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, we want to declare truth. We want to declare promises. But in the end, when it comes to us being a witness for him, what really is powerful is not only the message of the gospel, but also a display of a life that has been changed, that is new, a transformed life. Because the message will be believable when demonstrated by one who's been changed by one who's been transformed. So it's an account of an immoral woman whose heart has been changed. But it's just part of the scene here. It's also a story of Jesus reaching out to a Pharisee. So here we see that Jesus is invited to dinner. And it starts out in verse 36 again as we read, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So Jesus accepts this invitation to dinner. He's not one that says, no way, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not touching that. No, I'm not going to go over there. Now, somebody might be thinking, why would he refuse dinner with the Pharisee? Well, this Pharisee, whose name that we read, is si his name is Simon. He's very characteristics of how Pharisees were. I mean, Pharisees that were, you know, they were that elite group that were very judgmental. They were very religious outwardly. They were self-righteous. They were hypocritical, and they were very legalistic. And the Pharisees accused them of being only interested in the worst kind of sinners. 
So this is no small thing that Jesus would accept this invitation from this Pharisee. And Jesus knows that Simon and the Pharisees in general have already determined that he's a blasphemer because he forgives sins. And they know that only God can forgive sins. So they hated him for his message. And they hated him because he preached against self-righteousness. And he would heal on the Sabbath. They hated him for that. And he spent time with those, you know, that they considered outcast. And Luke mentions the Pharisees 28 times in his gospel. And it's always associated with them being hostile to Jesus. And we all know that they would eventually put a bounty out for his head and arrest him and desired and want to put him to death. But we make no mistake about this. Jesus has no less love for this Pharisee as he does towards this woman. He loves them equally. He loves these two debtors who are, when it comes to their sin, unable to pay their debt. That's the same debt that comes to all of us. So Simon invites Jesus to his house. And maybe, maybe he's just kind of hoping that get Jesus in a situation where by his own words he's going to incriminate himself. Because the religious leaders, they were always trying to catch him in something he might say. So Jesus goes to the house of a man that he knows he's a hypocrite because he comes to seek and save a man who is lost and who he loves right along with this woman who sinned greatly. So we don't know where this city is that this has taken place or town. We know it's in that northern region of Galilee where Jesus would do a lot of his ministry up there. We don't know the specifics about the invitation as well. It could have been that he was teaching and preaching in the synagogue and it might have been an invitation to the afternoon uh, meal. It might have been an invitation to some part of the Jewish feast or or a special banquet. We don't know the specifics, but the specifics aren't important to this story. And as you start to get the picture, as you start to get the scene here, you know, if you were there, you would see that the doors are opened up. And if you were to go inside, you would see an oblong table. And they wouldn't have, the table wouldn't have chairs around it like we do our tables. They would have, you know, couch-like cushions without a back or a side around the table. And if you were one that was invited and you would be at the table, you would lean or lounge around it. And you would have your head towards the table and your feet away from the table. Because nobody likes smelly feet, do they? I mean, roads were dirty and dusty and muddy at that time. That was typical. So feet were an issue at that day. And many times when you went over to somebody's place, went over to somebody's house, they would have a pitcher of water there. And you can clean your feet and, and have a towel there. You can wipe them off. If you, they were well off, they would have a slave maybe that would do that. And so you would also, they would put a kind of fragrant oil maybe on you too. It was a, kind of a deodorant kind of thing. Because when we go to dinner, I, I remember... You know, a lot of times when Becca and I go to somebody's house, she says, you smell, you need to take a shower, you know, I've been working all day. We don't have the opportunity, they didn't have the opportunity to do that. And so if you went in there, again, you recline, you ate, you sort of put your elbow propping up your head, and it, that's how you had your conversation. 
Another thing that was special about these dinners, that maybe if you invited somebody, a, a visiting rabbi or somebody who was well-known in the area, whatever the thing is, again, the doors would be thrown open, and the people of the town, even though they weren't invited to the meal, they would be allowed to come in and kind of stand against the wall. They would be in the background there, and they could listen to the conversation and the dialogue. And this would be a way for them to get their news. This is a way for them to get entertained or information because obviously they didn't have newspapers. You couldn't, you know, watch your local TV station or anything like that. So they collected their information in events like this. This was their networking. But they would be able to come in, but they weren't allowed to eat and speak. So here you see this, this scene. It, it comes further along. The people are there. Jesus is there at the table. And then something happens. We read about that in verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Behold. Behold tells us that something's taken place. Pay attention. Something shocking has taken place. It wasn't shocking that the locals were there watching and listening. It was shocking that this very woman, who is a notorious sinner, is there. Everybody knew who she was. She lived in this city, and she's most likely a prostitute. The text doesn't specifically tell us that she is, but whenever you see a description that, of a woman that said that she was a great sinner or a notorious sinner or anything, that that was a polite way to say that she was a prostitute. And I think that she knew that Jesus was there, because she has an alabaster jar with, her, a jar with her, that fragrant oil. I don't think she would be there otherwise. And so just picture it. You know, she sees the doors open. She comes into the crowd. She slip, slips in. The people are welcome there, but she's not. This would be an outrage to the purity of the home of a Pharisee for a prostitute to come in there. But what she does is she slips in anyway. And she sees where Jesus is. And, and she comes in and she places herself at the feet of Jesus. Maybe she's wondering what to do. With, she has that alabaster jar of fragrant oil. And she wants to pour it on Jesus. She's probably wanting to anoint his head with the expensive perfume. And I can't help to wonder if it was the most expensive, valuable possession that she had. These flasks were often given as a daughter's a dowry. It would be given on their wedding day. She's probably given up all hope that that will ever happen to her. She wants to give to Jesus, though, she wants to give Jesus the best that she has. She probably wants to pour the perfume on a head, but she stands at the feet of Jesus. And now she begins to weep. She can't control her emotions any longer. It's like she loses control. She breaks down. She begins weeping. And she lets loose what Luther called heart water. And this isn't a fragile woman. We got to remember that. This isn't a woman that you can break down very easily. 
This is a woman who has learned to keep her defenses up. She has been through a lot of tough stuff, a notorious sinner. And she's used to the remarks and comments of those in the city. And she's used to the condemnation of the Pharisees. And she lets the stares of the men in the city just kind of glance off of her. And she's also a woman who was one that probably had taken most of her life. She had taken the time to put on the makeup relative to her trade. If she was like most prostitutes at the time, she probably had taken alcohol to to calm her and drown her sorrows in her life. She had taken the money that the men had given her. And now she comes with this alabaster jar and she is now at the feet of the one who enabled her to give again. And she sees that Simon has completely neglected his guests. He's completely neglected Jesus. She rains tears on his feet. No one, when Jesus came in, offered him water to wash his feet from the dusty, dirty roads of the day. So she uses her heart water for his feet. And it says that she wiped his feet with her, the hair of her head. She didn't have a towel, so she took down her hair. Jewish women didn't do that. You didn't put down your hair in public because doing so was a sign of shame and looseness. But she's so dedicated to the worship of the one who brought forgiveness and hope and newness in her life that she just lets down her, her hair down to dry his dirty feet. And now she begins to kiss his feet once they're clean. She's completely slipped away with emotion, kissing his feet in her display of affection for him. And then finally she anoints his feet with her perfume because it can't wait any longer. She's no longer going to try to get closer to his head. She is so swept away with emotion she snaps the alabaster jar and she pours the perfume out on his feet. And she continues to embrace his feet not wanting to let go. And this is important that we take note of this. The presence of Jesus has changed her. She is no longer the woman she was before she had her encounter with Jesus. This is pure worship. She's probably not even aware any longer of the people that are in the background or the people that are around the table. So this Pharisee who had invited Jesus, when he saw this, you know, as Simon, he's watching all this go down. And verse 39, he says to himself, this man... If he were a prophet, he'd know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I mean, Simon's watching this all go on, and so he doesn't say anything to anyone. He sees this display of pure worship, and he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. His heart is cold and distant. This is all going on in his head. He's thinking about all this. Jesus knew what he was thinking. And the fact that Jesus knew what he was thinking shows he is God. And it's a reminder to us that there is never a conversation that we can keep from God. No deed, no action. There is no thought that we can keep from God. There is no room that is dark enough where he can't see. He knows it all. And one thing Simon is not thinking, and I find this, this is an important part. One thing that Simon is not thinking, 
Because those who were hostile towards Jesus, the ones who were looking to incriminate him, Simon that thinks that no way he's a prophet of any kind, the Pharisees could never bring themselves to think or say he's a man who is familiar with the prostitute. Nobody ever accused him of that. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't go there. There was nothing in his life that allowed his worst enemies to go there. They simply couldn't. His life was led where he couldn't do that. And it shows that, that they couldn't do that. And it shows that they did see his goodness and his purity, that the worst they could say was, he just doesn't know what kind of person she is. He doesn't know, and that proves he's not a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman was touching him. I mean, she's defiling him. She's such a sinner that even being touched by him or by her is defiling him. And no doubt, this is awkward for Simon. It's awkward that she's even there, let alone that, she, let alone she, that she's the center of attention. So Simon, you know, he's thinking, you know, Jesus, this Jesus, he doesn't have any spiritual insight. He doesn't have any divine wisdom. He doesn't even know who this woman is. There's nothing special about him. Come on. I mean, everybody in the city knows who he is. So he's disgusted by the scene. And he's disgusted by what the woman did. And he's disgusted by what Jesus let her do. But I think in a way, maybe perhaps it was a satisfied disgust because it confirmed in his mind that Jesus was no prophet. So not only has he judged the woman, but he has judged Jesus too. Well, verse 40, it's time for Jesus to say something. In verse 40, we see that he says, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he says, teacher, say it. Notice here that he responds to what Simon is thinking. He's showing some respect and gentleness to him. The Bible says agape love is to be well-mannered. Pastor Jeff has read in 2 Timothy, as we're going through that, that a servant of the Lord is to be gentle. And so this isn't a case where he cares only for the woman. He loves, he loves Simon as well. And so he just doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't get up all in his face and say, you hypocrite, get the log out of your own eye. He didn't do that. He answers what Simon was thinking. He knew who this woman was. He knew what she was thinking and what Simon was thinking. So Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, say it. Speak on. What do you have to say? I think Simon is maybe trying to show a little respect, but I think he's also cold. And so Jesus here, he's going to give him an illustration here in verse 41. And he says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So he gives him this illustration. He talks about a certain creditor or a money lender that had two people that owed debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Either one of them are unable to repay. So the creditor graciously forgives them both. 
Because, so it sounds like a simple story, doesn't it? Simple story. You know, money lender, guy comes, I need my 500 denera back. That's about a year and a half worth of wages. Another one that is loaned 50 denera, that would be about two months wages. Neither one can pay their debt. So the money lender forgives them both. Kind of a nice story. And think about it. Could you imagine a mortgage company calling somebody and say, the payment on your house is due. It's obvious that you can't pay it all back. So forget it. We'll cover it. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't happen, does it? And the term freely forgave, or you might have a version that says graciously forgave, includes the word that we use, grace, which is a business term for forgiving a debt, as well as a theological term used by Paul of the forgiveness that God gives us in Christ. So we need to keep in mind, and it's important, that whenever somebody forgives a debt, what makes it so generous is that they themselves incur, incur the debt in full. So I lend you 500 denarii and you can't pay, and I say I forgive that. What happens now is I incur the debt completely. The debt is mine now. The cost is transferred to me. I pay. And to understand that is to get the insight of the forgiveness of God. And when God forgave your sins, he then incurred the debt, and Jesus Christ went to the cross and died to pay it. Because debts, debts don't go away. They still have to be paid. But the forgiver incurs it and pays it. So it's not just forgiveness and it's done. It's forgiveness, and then the debt is transferred to the forgiver. And so Jesus goes. He's teaching Simon. He says, which of them will love more? Well, you see there in verse 43, Simon. Well, I suppose, I kind of picture him doing it that way. I suppose the one who forgave more. You have rightly judged quite a picture, isn't it? Jesus telling Simon through the picture that a woman and Simon are both debtors. Both owe and no one, and one owes ten times more than the other, and either can pay back the debt. Both of them bankrupt in and of themselves when it comes to standing, right standing before God, trying to stand before God in their own righteousness because no one is righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And James says, if you've broken the law just one, you're guilty of breaking all of it. All of us were born sinners. So we incurred a debt and we can't pay back. Bankrupt before God because the standard is perfection. So verse 44 we see, this is all starting to make some sense. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. My feet gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, 
But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. We've established a truth here. Great love comes from great forgiveness. Jesus looks at the woman, turns to the woman who is at his feet, and he says to Simon, do you see her? Do you see this woman who has had a beautiful meltdown in the eyes of heaven? Simon, I'm seeing great love out of this woman. What do you mean? I entered your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't even greet me, Simon. Can you imagine inviting somebody over to your house for dinner? And so they come over and they're knocking on the door and ringing the doorbell and you don't answer it. You're kind of ignoring them. So they knock a couple more times and ring the doorbell a couple more times and you still kind of ignore them. And then finally you come down, you just kind of fling the door open and, and they step in and, and you kind of just disappear in the house. That'd be rude, wouldn't it? It's obvious. That's what happened to Jesus here. You didn't have any water. You didn't greet me. No water for my feet. She has wet my feet with their tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You didn't give me any kiss. That was, that was common, that culture back then. Paul, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You gave me no kiss. And she has ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She anointed my feet with the best that she has with the expensive perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And it's in the perfect tense. It didn't happen right then. That's past. Something happened in the past with continuing effect. She had already been forgiven. And she had been forgiven in some other place at some other time. She already had experienced, had a run-in with Jesus. Maybe she stood and listened to him as he would speak at the Sermon of the Plains, as he talked about forgiveness. Maybe she had heard him say, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I can't help to think if she heard that, she's probably thinking, you have no idea the labor that is inside of me. I don't even know what rest is anymore. Wherever it was Jesus encountered her, she would look into the eyes of the one who had no lust for her, who only wanted her heart. And she had been touched by Jesus in the past. And she had heard something that jump-started her heart again. Something that revived her soul back to life where she believed that there was forgiveness. And there was a new beginning. And heaven could be hers. She would never find that with the religions of the Pharisees. She could never find that in the religion of legalism. This woman who sins her ten times as much is the one who has much love. So can I ask you a question this morning, Calvary Chapel? Do you see her?
She isn't what she used to be. What you should be seeing is a debtor who has been forgiven 500 denarii. And now who's the greater debtor? She's the one loving much because she has been forgiven much. And as we end this story this morning, it says in verse 48, then she said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this or even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins have been and stand today been forgiven. That's the idea. And he says to the woman, your faith has done that. All of that worship comes from the one who has deep regret of her sin. And the ones at the table, they're protesting now. You know, how can he say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forget sins. Yes. Who do you think he's in? He's claiming to be God. Faith has saved her. It is the faith that produced her love. It is our faith that saved us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have saved by faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. And so he says to her, because your faith saved you, because you believed, your love is manifested because your sins are forgiven. And he would tell this woman, you go in peace. Go into God's shalom and live there forever. So what level of love do we have? Two things that I can see that here. And maybe, maybe there's somebody in this room and there's somebody that's going to listen to this, is listening to it now or, or later. And maybe you're a 50 denarii sinner or maybe a 500. Forgiveness is offered to you. As you come to Jesus and you confess him as Lord and Savior and come to the cross because he shed his blood for you. And you might be thinking, you know, I've done a lot of sinning. I've sinned, I think I'm pretty sure I've sinned the day of grace away. Know this. If you're a 500 denaro sinner, forgiveness is for you just like it is for this woman where she had hope and she had changed And you have the capacity to love much as you come to Jesus. For Christian, for us Christians, thing that is important for us, a lesson here, is God knows his adoration. He also knows his neglect. He knows our hearts. And I'll speak for for me. I'll speak for myself because I've been saved a long time. I remember times where... You know, especially when you first get saved, so excited about the grace that was showed to me. But now that I'm quite a bit older, maybe it's a little easier for me just to lay in bed instead of getting up and seeking him. Maybe because of my doctrine and theology is, is kind of, you know, there for me and stuff. You know, I get a little lazy about the word. I don't delight in it as much as him. Our heart lacks for the things of the Lord at times. I would pray that none of us would ever have the attitude as Christians as I've been there and done that and seen that. That we would be ones that would seek him. That's what we see in this room. Jesus notices the neglect. It's right here. 
And he acknowledges the genuineness and delight that one has for him. And so may we be ones that delight in the Lord and the riches of his grace. May that be so real to us every day as we seek to be that powerful testimony for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this account, Lord. I want to pray for everybody here. That there are those, perhaps, that think that forgiveness isn't theirs, that they, that they may know that it is. As they come by faith and believe in you, Lord, and the, and the sacrifice that you gave to pay the debt of sin, to release them from the bondage of sin, Lord. I pray that they would come to you and confess, come in agreement with what you have to say about that, and that they would give their lives to you. And I pray, Father, for us, I just pray that, Lord, that we would be ones that our worship would be genuine in our hearts. And that of those times where we feel a little bit dry, that we would come at your feet to worship you and delight in you because of a debt that we could never pay. So, Lord, may we honor you not only with our lips, but with our hearts, and continue to grow in your word. Pray, Father, for everybody here as they go their way. I want to pray for those who maybe aren't feeling well. There's a lot of people that are sick, Lord, that you would bring, touch them, bring healing to them, Lord. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would bless the work of our hands, that you would keep us safe in this bad weather. Lord, that you would strengthen us, and we are so glad, and you are so good. May we rejoice in that, and may our hearts be glad as we leave this place. And may it carry us through the week. So we thankful. We are a thankful people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.